Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who've decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared humanity. humanity. Episode 14, Sue Gibson, A Lifetime of Activism. Corey Choi spoke with rock star activist and volunteer Sue Gibson. After the shock of the 2016 election, Sue joined the Working Families Party's Progressive Heroes Project. She helped turn out voters to elect three progressive heroes who have gone on to either win their races or place first in the primary. That includes Latoya Contrell, the first woman ever to serve as New Orleans mayor, Vernetta Alston, a progressive and queer woman of color who won her primary for city council in Durham, North Carolina, and Randall Woodfin, youngest ever elected mayor of Birmingham, Alabama. Hi, my name is Sue Gibson. I live in Jefferson City, Missouri, and I am a feminist activist. I'm 61 years old, and I've been an activist for a long time. And that election was something that um, seriously changed the whole world and and the outlook for for all of us. So everything just seems more urgent now. So you said you've been an activist for a long time. What were you involved with first and, and what kind of activism? Well, when I was young, um, of course, there weren't computers. <laughs> there was only snail mail. Even talking on the phone long distance wasn't feasible. There were charges for that. I got involved through campaigns I became aware of through the U.S. mail. And one of the first was a campaign to get McDonald's to stop using styrofoam containers for their food. So all over the nation, we were boycotting McDonald's and writing letters. And, and another campaign I was involved in really early was through Amnesty International, um, writing actual snail mail air letters to... Um, officials in other countries to get them to release political prisoners. So that was my start. But as far as getting organized with other people in real life, that probably happened when I was practicing nursing in Dallas, Texas, and the HIV epidemic hit. And in my circle of friends, we had been wanting to start an organization called um, GUTS, which stood for Gay Urban Truth Squad. And we had had exactly one meeting when one of the guys told us, you know what, we're going to have to change our focus because we need to become a part of ACT UP, which stands for the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. And that became my focus for many years. And as a nurse, you felt it was very important to address the AIDS epidemic 
was that your first introduction to the LGBTQ community or had you been involved with them before that? No, I'm a lesbian. And then I had the connection through work. And then I also come from a family of hemophiliacs. So I had three family members directly impacted and that all contributed to my sense of urgency. Oh, wow. Can you tell me a little bit of your experiences with ACT UP and what that was like? Yes. I value that experience for so many reasons, but for one thing, it was it was a state of emergency. So there was no opportunity to be timid, to be shy about speaking up and getting out in the street and causing trouble. And today, I've seen so many people who, after the election, they've just gone back to their lives. They're not participating. They're not willing to come into the street. They're not willing to speak up. And I find that incredibly disheartening. And, and to me, this is the same kind of state of emergency. I don't really understand. But ACT UP did that for me. It gave me a tenaciousness. It gave me courage that I might not have had otherwise, or it would have taken me decades to develop. And so what do you feel like ACT UP achieved? And what do you think you have achieved through ACT UP? Oh, my gosh. In those early days of HIV, before it even had a name, <laughs> the health departments were doing nothing. The NIH and the pharmaceutical companies, they weren't doing the research that was needed to develop drugs and, and other treatments. And it was our anger and our forcefulness in the streets that forced them to do something. And quickly, I, I mean, <laughs> there are so many policies and standard operating procedures have changed because ACT UP stomped our feet and said this must change and this must change now. Can you give me an example of a, a specific action that you participated in with ACT UP that you found very powerful? Yeah, because the county health department was not responding, we got a lot of clothes from a thrift store corresponding to the number of people who had died in Dallas County, which was, I don't even know how many hundreds at that time, very early in, in the 80s. And we stuffed them with newspapers to make bodies, and we dumped them at the door of the health department to make the point that all these bodies are dead, get busy and do something. Wow. And what was the reaction to that? Well, I don't remember the exact reaction, but things changed. Things changed because of ACT UP. We were in the news every day. We were loud. We were aggressive. We were pesty. <laughs> and we were always in the newspapers. And, and things had to change, and they did. And what about ACT UP do you think that was so effective? Why was ACT UP able to be in the newspapers? Why were people listening to them? You know, <laughs> HIV affected a lot of privileged white men, and they weren't used to being treated like the disenfranchised. So having them all of a sudden engaged was huge. It made a big difference. They had power, for one thing. They were CEOs. They were managers. They were accustomed to having people listening to what they said, and they had people who did listen to what they said. And so after ACT UP, did you stay active or did you kind of return to quote unquote normal life? I don't think life has been normal since. 
there were only two of us who survived from our ACT UP chapter. And, uh, yeah, even when I've been alone, I've been active. Like after 9-11, when Bush was clearly going to start this war, I went to Fort Worth because it's a military town. There's a big base there. So I thought, I'll go there to demonstrate against the war. So I went there, but it, it turned out everyone from Fort Worth had gone to Dallas because they wanted to be with a bigger crowd. So I demonstrated by myself against the war in Fort Worth. I knew exactly where I wanted to be. It was a big intersection, and it was a really good experience. I mean, I got a lot of hate, but I got a lot of support, too, and I'm glad I was there. You know, you said the thing that really got you activated was your work with ACT UP because it was a national emergency. And then you said you hadn't felt that way till now, till the 2016 election. How did the 2016 election change things for you? Oh my gosh, it's it's devastating. It's devastating that that kind of a person can be elected in this country. It's devastating to find out the great numbers of people who are so racist and so hateful, and we're just waiting for someone to legitimize those feelings. And they've just come out of the woodwork. There's a lot of people who just felt paralyzed and crippled after the election and in the subsequent months, but clearly you haven't been inactive. What have you been doing recently as an activist, and how does it inspire you? Well, there was a, um, a secret Facebook group um, prior to the election called Pantsuit Nation. And this bit of serendipity happened when I have two friends who were willing to demonstrate with me. And so the Saturday before the election, we went down to Trump headquarters here in Jefferson City. And we demonstrated. And um, this woman saw us and she was so excited to see us and we changed we exchanged contact information and then she went home and she wrote up the encounter on the pantsuit nation missouri page and women started writing comments on her post like oh my gosh i live in jefferson city and i thought i was the only one who was progressive in this town so i started collecting all those people into a secret Jefferson City group of my own. And there were almost 400. It was shocking to find that many people who felt alone. And so those are the people I found and the people who said everything was going to be different now, but now they've kind of gone away. So it's a very odd place to live because it's a state capital. And most people work for the state. Even those who are progressive aren't out about it because we have a very hateful state legislature that will retaliate against state workers if they know they're progressive. And some who are also small business owners aren't comfortable being out because their livelihood depends on the goodwill of the community. So I call it an activism desert. I don't like not having a crew here. I'm the kind of person who likes to be in the streets and likes to be confrontive. Can you talk a little bit about the moment when people first started to respond to that Facebook message? What were they saying? Yeah, they, they were saying, 
I felt so alone. I thought I was the only one. Thank you so much for writing about this. And so I collected them all, and then we had a meeting, and about 20 of them came to the first meeting. And I asked, how many of you would be willing to demonstrate? And they all raised their hands, which was such a big deal, because I have demonstrated by myself so many times in this town, or with one other person, or five other people is a really good turnout for me. And the biggest demonstration I've ever had here was 14 people after the Hobby Lobby decision at the Supreme Court. So it was a big deal to me to have 20 people raise their hands. And so what went wrong, in your opinion? Why did enthusiasm die out? Um, I don't think it's for lack of enthusiasm. I think it's, it's worry for their reputation in the community. You know, it's, I have to remind myself that I don't have a job to worry about. I don't have children to worry about. I don't have anybody that I have to be concerned that someone is going to say something to them about me or discriminate against them because of what they feel about me. Other people have ties. They have a job. They may have a church. They have children, and they have reasons, reasons I can't identify with. This town is so hateful. I mean, I, I probably have a letter to the editor in the newspaper two or three times a week. But the vitriol I get in response to those letters is something that I think a lot of people aren't willing to endure. It's not going to hurt me. I mean, I'm old. I'm retired. I had no reason to be closeted. And what do you think needs to happen because, you know, the the country has gotten so, so partisan and so divided. Do you feel like it's possible to, to bridge that gap? Or do you think we just have to wait and depend on the children? Like, where, wh- how do we fix this? I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. But it will take a lot of work. And it will take work through a lot of different avenues, such as, changing who gets elected to the city council and to the state legislature and to the school board. And it takes people writing letters to the editor and exposing people to other points of view that they've never considered before. Can you just explain a little bit about what you've been doing with Working Families Party and what Progressive Heroes is? Yeah, well, Progressive Heroes is um, a campaign to endorse candidates across the country in down-ballot races. The Working Families Party endorses progressive candidates, and they're called the progressive heroes, the candidates themselves. Why are you working with them? Well, it was kind of mysterious (laughs) day. I remember getting an email saying, Dylan Easterday has invited me to join Slack, and I thought, what if I signed up for now? And it changed my life. These working parties people are such hard workers. It, it's I'm really amazed at their productivity. At the same time, I get to work with Dylan Easterday and Joe McLaughlin, who are expert at what they do and are both remarkable human beings and always have my back. I know it's really got to be hard to teach someone the ropes of something um, when things are so busy and hectic with all these elections we're having all over the country. But 
I found a home there and I'm very happy. What do you personally like about candidates that have been endorsed by Working Families Party? Well, I have vetted some of them myself to determine whether I wanted to to make a contribution to their campaign, and I have not yet found one that I didn't want to support. They've all got the bold, progressive values that I want our government officials to have to make things better for everybody in the country. Things like health care and Medicaid expansion, progressive instead of regressive taxation, funding of public education, caring about climate change and the environment. And my big issues are the right to abortion. And I would really like to see the Equal Rights Amendment ratified. So you got a Slack in, in invitation from Working Families Party to something called Progressive Heroes And you decided to join their Slack channel. And what did you find when you got to that Slack channel? I found a community where there was a lot of support. It feels like a family now. So we've never met. We work together well. And it's just so much fun. You've never met these people in person. Do you know where they're from? We have people in every state. I know that we have activists in New York and California and Alaska. And I'm in Missouri. We just get up every morning and we start texting voters and we can start on the East Coast because they're up first and then and text all day and start closing down the East Coast when they go to bed and roll across the country. And what are you texting these voters and how do you find the lists of the voters? The lists are mostly the public voter registration rolls and we text voters in their district. The Working Families Organization has endorsed candidates in down-ballot races all over the country. We call them our progressive heroes. We introduce our candidates by name. We provide their website links so they can learn more about them, and we ask for the voters' support. We end up telling them where their polling place is and what hours they'll be open on Election Day or how to get an absentee ballot if their state has absentee voting or voting early, what the procedure is for that. So we have some engagement with the voters. And one of the really exciting things is the voters' enthusiasm for the candidates comes across to us. And that's really a lot of fun because once a week we get on an all-volunteer phone call, and often we have one or more candidates as a guest speaking to us. So it's really fun when I've been texting that particular candidate's district and being on the receiving end of the enthusiasm for that candidate and then getting to hear from them myself. Wow. So the candidates actually come on conference calls with all the volunteers? Yeah, they talk about what they hope to accomplish when they win this race, how important the Working Families endorsement is to them, and how much they appreciate our texting campaigns. So you saw so much hope across the country and you made such a difference out of your state. Do you feel like that energy is going to affect your state, Missouri, at all? Missouri's an outlier. It's just, it is so red. (laughs) There just seems to be so little hope from Missouri, but I I hope we can eventually turn that around. If I can help affect the rest of the country and Missouri becomes surrounded by a sea of blue progress and the people begin to see what a mistake it is to be so backward here, I think that can only help. But I'm just glad to have something to do that's effective because in Missouri, it's like beating my head against a brick wall. Those elections last night, 
Charlotte, North Carolina, elected their first ever black woman mayor. A black lesbian was elected to the city council in Durham. At least two um, transgender women were elected across the country. It's just mind-boggling. Things are going to change so much. I'm just really excited about the future now. And I hope what the American people have learned is that democracy is not a spectator sport. I mean, hopefully we won't have to work this hard at it again, but we all have to stay engaged. We can't leave our government on autopilot because that, that doesn't work. Thank you for listening to Mobilize. Be sure to check out workingfamilies.org to find out how you can get involved.